Last week, I spoke to you on the subject of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And today is just going to be a continuation of what we started last week. But I want you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Galatians chapter number 5. And our main text this morning is going to come from verse number 25. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 25. We'll start there. I've got some other places that I want to go, but... um, We're going to be talking about living in the Spirit. And we're going to be talking about what it means to walk in the Spirit, to live out our faith by the power of God. So look what the Scripture tells us in the 25th verse, Galatians chapter 5. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for meeting with us this morning. I'm thankful, Holy Spirit, that I... Become aware of your presence today, how good it is to be in your presence with your people in this place. God, you are so good to us. We praise you for who you are. We're thankful, Lord, this morning for the opportunity and the privilege of standing before these people with an open Bible. Lord, I'm thankful today that you've promised to never leave me nor forsake me, that you're with me always. I'm thankful, Lord, that you've given me a message in my time of study, and now, Lord, uh, you've helped me prepare it. Help me now, Lord, to, uh, to preach it. Help me, God, to share your truth with your people, not in my power, but in yours. Lord, I'm praying that you move me out of the way and you use me this morning, for I can do nothing. I'm praying today, Lord, that Satan be horrified, the church be edified, and, Lord, that you would always be glorified. And I know the only way that's going to happen is if you do the work, Holy Spirit, show us this morning how to live and walk in you. In Jesus' name we pray and for your sake, amen. I was raised by a car guy, and I'm thankful for that. What I mean by I was raised by a car guy, my dad loved cars. Anything with a motor in it, he was interested And so for the time I was probably, I don't know, not even big enough to walk, I was taken to car shows or drag races or round track races or uh, something to do with cars always. And so that birthed within me a love of cars. And I'll never forget when I was about 13 years old, my dad came home from work one day and he he told me and my mom, he said, I want y'all to get ready. We're going to take a ride over to Tremont, Mississippi. I've got a car that I want to look at. And so that was right up my alley when he told me that. And I hurried and got my shoes on, got ready and got in the car. And my mother did too. And we headed off to Tremont. Now we headed out down 19 North over to Bull Mountain out there in God's country and took a left there by the polka dot store. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And we went all the way to the end of that road going over Bull Mountain and took then a right onto Cotton Gin Road. Anybody know where Cotton Gin Road is? Yeah, me too. If you don't know where Cotton Gin Road is, that's the road that goes from Tremont, Mississippi to Red Bay, Alabama through the woods. In other words, folks, we're out in the sticks when we're in Cotton Gin Road. I mean, you don't get much further out in the sticks than that. So uh, we were headed over there, and on the way over, Dad told me, he said, I've got, 
a guy that I work with, he's got a car for sale over here, and I thought you might like it. And I said, that, was, that automatically piqued my interest when he said he thought I might like it. So really what he's telling me is, we're going to look for you a car. And so we're, we're driving over, man, I'm so excited, I can't hardly stand it. We pull up in the yard of the man that he's talking about, and he meets us there. He's sitting on the porch, him and his wife. And he steps down off the porch and starts coming to the car. And I look over in the carport and I see the car that my dad's talking about. It's a 63 Ford Galaxy 500. Now, for those of you who don't know what a 63 Ford Galaxy 500 looks like, it's kind of like the car that Andy and Barney had as their patrol car on the Andy Griffith Show. Do y'all remember that one? Big, long car, man. Now, Andy's and Barney's, it was a four-door. The one that we were looking at that day was a two-door, but still, it's one of the biggest cars I've ever seen in my life. I think you could have played a game of football on that hood. It would have taken you um, probably two people to slam one of the doors. I mean, that thing was huge. And by the look on my face, my dad must have knew what I was feeling as he said, you don't like this car, do you? And, and I looked at him, and he looked, I said, no, I really don't, Dad. And he said, well, we, we wanted to come look anyway. And the guy said, no, wait a minute. Now, I've, I've, uh, I, this is not the only car I've got. If you don't like this one, we can go look at another one. And Dad said, okay, we'll go look at that one. He said, well, it's over at my, at my mother-in-law's house. And so we went back across Cotton Gin Road, turned off on another little county road, turned left onto a gravel driveway that went about a quarter mile out in the woods. And at the end of that gravel driveway, there was uh, an old farmhouse, and out to the right of that farmhouse was a great big barn. And sitting in the hall of that barn was a 1964 Ford Fairlane 500. And so, two door, and uh, rust in color. Now, the, 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 the other, the Galaxy was black in color. This one was rust in color. And he said, now this one is not near in as good a shape as what the other one is, but you may like it better. And so, man, we walked out to the car, and as soon as I laid eyes on it, I knew I liked it better. And my dad did too. And, man, we started checking it out, and he said, you like this one, don't you? I said, man, I like this one. I want this one. And he said, all right. So we, he started making a deal with the guy who had the car. I think we paid him that day $800. And we drove out of there with a 1964 and a half Ford Fairlane. And I'm going to tell you something. I wouldn't have been any more happy if I'd have been driving out in a Ferrari. It was fantastic. We were going down the road there, and it needed a lot of work. The man wasn't lying. I mean, it was, it was pretty rusty. Matter of fact, I looked over into the back seat. Mama was following us in the back. Uh, behind us in the, in the family car. I was sitting in the passenger seat. Dad was driving. I look over in the back seat and I could see highway under me. The whole back floorboard was out of it. And so, but still, I was tickled to death. Man, you couldn't have wiped the smile off my face. So we get that thing home and for the next two and a half years, we start working on it. We replaced the floor plans, floor, pan, floor pans for where it was rusted out, and then I mowed grass for two summers, and I saved all that money from mowing grass and was able to put an interior in it. It was black leather interior with gold trim. Man, I was so proud of that thing. Dad then talked to a guy that he worked with, and we worked up a trade. I traded a 200X three-wheeler to get a paint job, and he, he took the three-wheeler and painted the car. And man, that thing was shining and shining on the outside and, and looked good for the new interior. I, I was so proud of it, man. It, like I said, it was just an old car, but to me, man, it was really something special. And so um, I turned 16. I started driving that thing in September when we started back to school um, that, for that next year. And, 
And I drove it from, from September to uh, about the middle of December. And me and my brother was on the way to school one morning, and, uh, and, and I heard a noise under the hood, and all of a sudden the, it just stopped right dead in the road. I knew something was bad wrong, and to come to find out, the motor blew up on the way to school that morning. And so I can remember getting that thing towed to the house, and every morning I was riding the bus to school, and I looked out there and saw that car that we had put so much time, so much money into, and it's just sitting there. That car looked really, really good on the outside. Had a new paint job and new interior. I mean, it, it looked the part. It looked like it could fulfill its purpose. And how do you know the purpose of an automobile is to get you from point A to point B? No, it looked like it was about to fulfill its purpose like it could the way it sit. But the truth is, it lacked the power under the hood to get you where you need to go. There was no power to match what it looked like on the outside. Now, folks, how many of you understand this morning that we all have a purpose? How many of you understand and know that we've been created for a purpose? Do you know that you are not an accident? Do you know that God has a plan for your life and God has a plan for my life? I'm telling you, people all over the world this morning are wondering why they are here, why they are created, what truly is their purpose. I believe there are psychiatric hospitals full this morning with people who don't understand their purpose. They're continually wondering, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of of life. Well, I'm glad to tell you this morning that we find meaning and we find purpose in the truth of who God is and what he's done for us. Can you say amen to that? Do you know that the Bible, the word of God, has the answer for what the meaning of life is all about? Man, if, if you want to know what life is, what we're created for, then you need to look no further than your Bible. And so this morning, that's what we're going to look at. Because I fear many times there's a lot of people who look really good on the outside, but they lack the power on the inside to actually fulfill the purpose God has for each and every one of us. What does it mean? To live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to operate by the power of God fulfilling your purpose. That's the questions we're going to be answering. Now, we're going to be using our Bibles this morning, so uh, you may not be able to turn to every verse. I'm not going to flip over to every verse because uh, for lack of time, but I do want you to write them down. So get your Bible and your pen handy and write down these verses so that you'll know I'm telling you the truth. You can go back then and look at it later. I want you to flip back to the book of Genesis chapter 1. The first thing that I want you to understand uh, this morning, the first point that I want to give you is God's plan for the man. Do you know that God has a plan for mankind? Now look what the Bible tells us. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26. And God said, let us make man in our own image. Now you'll remember this verse from last week when we said, when the Bible tells us God said, let us, he's speaking of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He's speaking of one God who has revealed himself to us in three distinct personalities. So he says, let us make man in our image. How many of you understand that man was originally created in the image of God? 
We are in God's image. Now, what does that mean when he says, let us make man in our image? Well, you've you got to know a little bit about the, who God is and, and, and how he operates. Now, the Bible says that God, again, is triune in nature. When I say God is triune in nature, again, I'm just saying that he is one God who reveals himself in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, God has created us in his image, therefore, we too are triune in nature. Or at least, we were originally created triune in nature. How do you understand? We've all got a physical body. <laughs> You've got a physical body, you know that, because you're sitting on these pews this morning. You're listening to me over the internet this morning with physical ears. You've got a physical body so that you might relate one to another in a physical way. Now, the Bible says that we've got that, or God created us like that, in Genesis 2 and 7. Look just across the page there in your Bibles. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Watch this now. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now, I want you to get a hold of this. The Bible then tells us in the last part of that verse, and man became a living soul. So what's the Bible telling us? God created us with his own two hands, forming us from the dust of the ground so that we might have our physical bodies. It is with our physical bodies that we relate to one another physically. But then the Bible says he breathed into man's nostrils and man became a living soul. It, not only do we, do we have a body, but we have a soul, and it's with that soul that we relate to one another psychologically speaking, amen? It's with our soul that we really get to know someone. How many of you know I'm married to my soulmate? I really believe that. And I hope and pray she feels the same way about me. I relate to her not just on a physical level, but I relate to her on a psychological level because I am created with a body physically, but also with the soul that helps me interact psychologically. Can you say amen? So we got a body and we got a soul. But we also see in the account of Genesis that Adam was able to relate to, fellowship with God himself. Why is that? Well, you remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4? He said in John chapter 4 and verse number 23, speaking to the Samaritan woman, he says there's coming a time when true worshipers shall worship the Father, how? In spirit and in truth. How was Adam able to well, uh, fellowship with God, commune with God there in the garden while creation was perfect. How, how was Adam able to do that? Listen, because he had a spirit. Can you say amen? He was alive to spiritual things. And the only way you can ever relate to, commune with, have fellowship with God is if you are made alive unto the things of the Spirit. We see evidence of that in Genesis chapter number 2. Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 16, God commands Adam. He speaks to Adam a commandment. He says then in verse number 18, 
Genesis 2, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me. So here you see God showing his love toward Adam, not, not listen to me now, speaking to him, but then promising him, I'm going to give you a help meet, someone who completes you. That's what the word actually means. Do you see the love relationship that God has with his most prized creation, mankind? Not only is he speaking to him, speaking with him, communing with him, fellowshipping with him, but he also says, I'm going to provide for you exactly what you need. Someone made for you and you are made for them you complete one another <laughs> that's powerful that's exactly what the word help meet means just the same word in the Hebrew that you would talk or you would use when talking about how a hand fits a glove the glove is made for the hand and the hand in some sense is made for the glove they complete one another that's the picture that we're seeing here. Now, why would God do that? Because he loves Adam and because Adam loves God. Because they have fellowship and communion with one another. Why? Because Adam is alive to the spirit. God is a spirit. And everybody who worships him must worship in spirit and in truth. To worship is to fellowship and to commune with the Lord. And the only way you can commune with God is through the spirit. That's what we see here. Adam has a physical body to relate to others physically. He has a soul to relate to other human beings psychologically, but he's alive to the spirit here in the garden so that he might relate unto the Lord. So God's plan for the man is that man might know him. <laughs> but then let's go on. Go, go back to Genesis chapter number one. And look down at verse number 28. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful, watch this now, and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So what is God saying? I want you to be my image bearers throughout the earth. Now, as, as, and God's original plan was that for Adam and, and Eve, the woman God created for Adam, they were to come together as being body, soul, and spirit, both of them, relating to one another, but also, listen, having communion and fellowship with God through the spirit, and they were to come together and be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth so that the image of God might be spread over all God's creation. Does that make sense to you? That was God's original plan for each and every man and woman. So we see God's plan for the man, but this morning I also want you to see man's problem with God. Look in Genesis chapter number 3. God made the command to Adam and Eve in uh, verse number 17 of the second chapter that they could partake of everything the garden had to offer. It was, it was for them. That they could have all they wanted whenever they wanted except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said to them, the day you eat of that tree, you're going to die. Then we come to Genesis 3, watch what happens. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field 
which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So here you have the picture of Satan coming to Adam and Eve in the form of a serpent. And the first thing the enemy Satan does is try and get Eve and Adam, don't, don't miss that, Adam was there with her, can you say amen? He's trying to get both of them to doubt the word of God. So he says, hath God said. He's doing everything he can to create doubt about who God is and what God said in the hearts and minds of God's creation. And let me tell you something. Satan knows his job and he does it well. And the same tactics he was using with Eve and Adam all the way back in the garden, he's still using with us today. He's always wanting us to doubt who God is and what God has said. Always. I'm reminded of the story in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 and verse 20. Brothers, if you will, please put that on the screen for me. Jesus is with his disciples and they're going around doing the ministry that God uh, the Father had sent God the Son to do. And in Mark 9, 20, there was a little boy brought to Jesus who had a demonic spirit. Watch this. And they brought him unto him and when they saw him, straightway the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and he waddled around on the ground foaming, the Bible says. And he asked his father, how long is, is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. So this little boy has been dealing with this ever since he was a baby. And oft times it cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But it, if thou canst not do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Look at verse 23. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. How many of y'all believe that this morning? See, it's not, God is not hindered by his power. God is hindered by our lack of faith. God is not hindered by, by what he can do, but he's hindered in how we trust. He said all things are possible to those that believe. Verse 24, watch it. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, I love this verse, Lord, I believe. But help thou my unbelief. Can you relate to that? Me too. God, I believe you're able to do what I've asked. Lord, I believe you're able to save my lost loved ones. I believe you're able to answer this prayer or that prayer. Lord, I believe you're able. I believe what you say is true. But God, I still struggle in this flesh. I'm still human just like everybody else. I believe you can do it, but Lord, help my unbelief. I think all of us struggle with that to some degree. Satan knows that and uses it against us. He does everything he can to try and cause us to doubt the validity, the truth of the Word of God, just like he did with Adam and Eve back in Genesis chapter 3. He's still doing the same things today. Now let me tell you this, I have been a student of the Word of God now for over 20 years, and I, I, I'll promise you, I believe God's Word more today than ever before. You do not have to apologize for believing in the truth of Scripture. I'm telling you, there are mountains 
of evidence that points to the truth, the absolute truth that we find on the pages of the Bible. You don't have to doubt it. Listen, don't doubt it. Take every thought captive and trust the Lord. God is faithful. How many this morning will testify that God is faithful? If God says He'll never leave you nor forsake you, what's that mean? He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's faithful. If God says He shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory, guess what it means? He shall, not might, not maybe, but He shall supply all your needs. If God says in this world you shall have tribulation, but you can be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. If God says that, He means it. You can trust in the validity, the truth of what God says because of who said it. God has made a promise to us. We find it on the pages of Scripture. And you can trust in what the Bible tells you. And you should. Don't fall to the attack of the enemy and causing you to doubt God's Word. God's Word is truth. He did it with Eve and he did it with Adam and he'll do it with us. Verse number two. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it lest ye die. Now if you go back and study in Genesis 2, you're going to find that God gave Adam headship in the garden. Do you know that, guys? Do you know God gives husbands headship in the home? Do you know that God has purposed the way He set it up to make the man the spiritual head of the household? Now listen, Dr. Adrian Rogers, he always says it like this. He says, anything with no head is dead and anything with two heads is a freak. Now there's a lot of freakish marriages happening today and it's affecting the home greatly because men are not assuming their role as the spiritual head of household. And a lot of times, women have to take up the slack because the men are not doing what God has called us to do. And we see that happening right here in the book of Genesis. When, this, when, the, when the enemy comes... He speaks to Eve, but you're going to find out in just a minute that Adam was standing right there with her. But when it came time for Adam to lead his family, he kept his mouth shut. When it came time for Adam to make a stand upon the truth of the Word of God, he said nothing. And because of that, we all got in trouble. Now listen to me. A lot of people want to blame me for taking of the fruit. Guys, I, I've, been, I've been studying on this and I've come to find out there's a reason that your wives won't tell you where she wants to go eat when you take her out for a date night. The first time that a woman chose the place to eat, we all got in a mess. But I'm just saying, I'm not even sure that's the first sin. Let me tell you what I believe the first sin is. Adam keeping his mouth shut, standing there watching the enemy speak to his wife. Instead of making a stand on the word of God, he chose to be quiet 
and cower down in the face of the enemy. Verse 4. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Do you see it? Casting that doubt. God's not telling you all the whole truth here is what he's saying. Verse 5. For God doeth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You know what I mean? This is the second thing that Satan, the enemy, will sometimes do. Satan, the enemy, most of the time will do this. He'll try to get us to feel like we're missing out on something. Do you know all the truth of the word of God is there because God loves you? Do you know God says that thou shalt not commit adultery for a reason? Do you know that? That's not so he can keep something from you, but it's so he can keep you from something. It's not for uh, God being a, a cosmic killjoy and keeping you from having a good time and doing what pleases your flesh. It's so that you might have the life he's purposed for you to have. My kids don't understand a lot of the things I tell them they shouldn't do. They don't understand it. And they're all times telling me stuff like, well, Dad, this one's doing it or that one's doing it or, or, or they get to do that or they, these over here get to do that. Well, folks, guess what? As their father, I don't want to make decisions determined by what pleases them. As their father, I've got to make decisions by wisdom and, and out of love that I know are best for them. And always what's best is not what is pleasing to the flesh. Are you getting a hold of that? I've counseled with many men and women who've fallen into the trap of adultery and usually what happens, let me tell you what happens, they begin to feel like the grass is always greener on the other side. Let me tell you why grass gets green because it gets watered. Pay attention to me, men and women. If you want greener grass, spend more time watering in your own yard. Don't look for greener grass elsewhere. Spend time in your yard. Doing what's necessary to make your home what it's supposed to be. Doing it God's way so you might receive God's blessing. Don't fall into the lie of the enemy that you're missing out on something that you can get somewhere else that you can't get at home. Listen to me. God blesses the marital relationship and God will bless it if you do it His way. You gotta do it His way. A lot of people fall into addiction because they think they're missing out on something the world's getting. They become alcoholics and drug addicts and, and, and everything else because they feel like they're, they're, they're being kept from something. They're curious about what that life is like. Let me tell you, let me tell you, let me give you some good advice. I promise you, the world has nothing for you. We sing a song around here that I love and it talks about there's nothing better than Jesus. You say, brother, how do you know? I know because I've tried what the world has to offer. And I can attest to the fact, I can testify 
that there's nothing better than the Lord. Don't fall to the lie of the enemy when he says you're missing out on what the world's getting. What the world's getting is not what you need. Make a stand on the truth of the word of God and apply it to your life. That's that's what happened with Adam and Eve. They didn't make a stand. And it cost them and us. How many of you know sin just don't affect you? It affects everybody around you. Are you hearing me? Another great lie of the enemy is that you can sin without consequence. Folks, you can't. Sin has consequences. If it don't show up in your life, it'll show up in the lives of people you love the most. So the enemy's still doing the same things he's always done. And that created for us a great problem because the Bible says in verse number six, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree that desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. So at that moment, they broke God's commandment. They broke God's law. And the Bible says that he who transgresses God's law is the one who sins. Transgression of the law is sin. And so sin entered the human race. Listen, that's why all of us now are born into sin. The psalmist David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. Romans 5, 12 says, for by one man sin entered into the world and death, uh, 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 and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all men have sinned. When Adam sinned in the garden, sin became a cancer that was passed down generation to generation and generation all the way down to you and me. And it's because of that sin Adam died that day. You say, now wait a minute, brother Israel. Adam didn't die that day. (laughs) Well, he didn't die physically. Physically. He lived for another 960 years if you look to the word of God. But that day he died spiritually. Because God being holy can have no communion or fellowship with that which is sinful. He died spiritually. He still had his body that he could interact physically with. And he still had his soul that he could interact psychologically with others. But listen, he now is dead to the spirit that brought him communion and fellowship with God. Oh, folks. We lost a lot in the garden. So now, every man, woman, boy, and girl that's born into this world with a sinful nature is born spiritually dead. Amen? That's a big problem for you and for me. For all of us. But not only do I want you to see God's plan for man, I also want you to see, like like we've been talking about right here, Uh, man's problem with God. But folks, don't miss God's promise to man. Look what the Bible says. Genesis chapter number three, look down with me to verse number 14. And the Lord said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. And thy belly shalt thou go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. So God says to Satan, who was there in the form of a serpent, he said, 
I'm going to put an, an, an enmity between you and the woman. You are going to be mortal enemies. And one day, the seed of a woman is going to bruise your head. Now fast forward from this promise made in Genesis 3.15, 4,000 years later to a stable in Bethlehem. And the Bible says that a virgin, a spouse to the man named Joseph, gave birth to a child and called his name Jesus. Listen, this child was promised by Gabriel. Do you remember us studying that back in the month of December when God sent the angel Gabriel and told Mary that she's going to be giving birth to a son and he's supposed to call his name Jesus that he's going to be Emmanuel which means God with us and so Jesus came through the perfect birth not born of the seed of man but born into a virgin by the work of the Holy Spirit Jesus came born perfectly so that he might then live perfectly he lived out and did right what Adam got wrong, amen? Adam sinned in the garden. Jesus never sinned for 33 and a half years. Then the Bible says he went to the cross and he paid the sin debt for all mankind. He paid the penalty. He took the punishment for my sin and for your sin when he stretched out his arms on a cross and died for each and every one of us because sin had to be paid for if God's truly holy. And God chose because he loves us to punish his son in our place. The perfect, holy lamb of God without spot or blemish that takes away the sin of the world. He was born perfectly. He lived perfectly. He died sacrificially for you and for me. Not for his sin, but for my sin. Then the Bible says he rose again the third day. And he rose again in the power of the Spirit. Listen to me now. To walk in the newness of life. What we lost in the garden, Jesus got back for us through his finished work upon this earth. So, Brother, how do you know that? Look at Romans chapter 8 with me just a moment. Romans chapter 8. Brother Ben Harris, she's all over my message this morning, brother, and I'm glad you were. Romans chapter 8. And let's look down at verse number 11. Well, let's just look at verse number 1 to begin with. Romans 8 and 1. And I wish I could go through all this, but we don't have time. Romans 8 and 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation than which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Amen. Isn't that good news? To those who are in Christ, to those who've placed their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, we are no longer condemned. To be condemned means you're considered guilty. To be condemned means you're still facing punishment for your sin. But for those who are in Christ, for those who've trusted in Jesus by grace through faith, we are no longer condemned. We walk not after the flesh, the Bible says, but we've got to walk or live after the Spirit. How is that possible? Look down at verse 11. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwells in you. So listen to me. The same Holy Spirit power that raised up Jesus on that first Easter morning now dwells in the person of the believer. 
God himself now dwells in us. We are born again, not physically speaking, but spiritually speaking. We are born again into God's family. Wow. Let me prove it to you. Look down at Romans chapter 8. In verse number uh, 15, for you have not received the spirit of a bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Everybody say adoption. Do you realize if you've placed your faith in Christ as Savior, you are the adopted sons and daughters of Almighty God? But you have not received the spirit, you have not received the spirit, everybody say the spirit, spirit. of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba Father, we cry out to our Daddy God. Now, because of the finished work of Jesus, what was lost in the garden when Adam died spiritually because of sin, we've been, listen, it's been given back because Jesus paid the sin debt and all who trust in him can now have the spirit of adoption. We're born again into a family. But let's, let, let me say something else. Not only are we born again into a family, but we're baptized into a body. Go to 1 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter number 12 with me. Just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse number 12. For as the body is one and hath many members. He's using the analogy of the physical body and the body of Christ. He said, you've got a physical body with many members, don't we? We've got, we've got fingers and hands and toes and arms and eyes and ears. Many members that make up just one body. So he's saying the same is true for the body of Christ, spiritually speaking. We've got many members that make up one body, the head being the Lord Jesus, who's in control. For by one spirit we are all, have many members, verse 12, and all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Now listen to me. At the moment you trust in Jesus, the Bible is saying right here that you are baptized into the body of Christ. How? By the Spirit. By one Spirit. The same Spirit that baptized me into the body of Christ has baptized you into the body of Christ. That happened at the point of conversion. Amen? You say, brother, how do you know what happened at the point of conversion? We'll go to Colossians 2 and 10. Write that scripture down, brothers. Put it for the screen for me, please. Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 10. Watch what the Bible tells us. I love this verse. And ye, talking to the believer, are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Do you see that? How are we complete? According to Colossians 2 and 10, how are we made complete? So when we get Jesus, we get all we need. When do we get Jesus? Well, if John 3, 16 is correct, it's when we believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? And then it says in John 3, 36, He who believes on the Son has life. He who does not believe on the Son of God hath not life. So when you believe upon Jesus, you receive life. Spiritually speaking, that you were originally dead to. By the power of the Spirit. And you're 
baptized into his body. Are you getting that? The promise of God is this, that through faith in Jesus, not only are we born again into a family with the spirit of adoption, but we're baptized into a body. The same Holy Spirit that raised up Jesus and has baptized me has baptized you into the body of Christ. Now, I don't just want you to see this morning God's plan for the man and man's problem with God and God's promise to man, but we must see God's power in man. Go back to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to close this thing down. Look what it says. Galatians chapter number 5. Verse number 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Anybody ever experienced that? Do you know right now we're walking around with two natures? We've got the nature of Adam, which we were born with physically. But for the child of God who's been born again into God's family, now we've got the nature of God through the person of the Holy Spirit. And the flesh is lusting or warring against the Spirit, and the Spirit is warring against the flesh. That's what that Bible is saying. And the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Have you ever felt that way? You know what you want to do. You know what you need to do. You know what God's called you to do. But there's always a struggle to go the other way. Why is it easier sometimes to lie and tell the truth? Is it ever? Sometimes it is, isn't it? Let's be honest. Because listen, you've still got a fleshly nature, a sinful nature that, that, that pulls you that way so that you don't do the things that you would. Now look at verse 18. But if you be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law, verse number 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in the time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So is he saying that if we ever fall into any of this stuff that we've got no hope? No, what he's saying is this. As a pattern of your life, for one who has been born again by the Spirit, those things are not going to be evident. Yeah, you may slip up, you may fall, you may do things that are unpleasing to God, but I am thankful God's grace is sufficient for lost sinners. And all we are sinners who've been saved by God's grace. But as a pattern of your life, these things shouldn't be. Verse 22, watch. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith, meekness and temperance. Against such there is no law. So what's the Bible telling us? We have the power of God in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And if we will reckon ourselves dead to the flesh so that we might live by the Spirit, if we'll relinquish our will to His, 
if we'll feed the Spirit instead of feeding the flesh, if we'll live by the Spirit, we can produce the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. The Holy Spirit abides in the believer. And we can bear fruit. And we should bear fruit. And all in the world the fruit is, is the life of the vine being pressed out through the branch. If you've got an apple tree with apples hanging on it, that means that apple tree is alive and well and healthy and it's doing what it's supposed to do. It's bearing fruit. So when Paul says, these are the fruit of the Spirit, he's, what he's saying is, if you're living by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, relinquishing your will to God's will, Listen, continually dying to the flesh, realizing it's not about what the flesh wants, but what God wants. If, you're, if you do that, listen, the fruit's going to be evident in your life. The power of God will be evident through the fruit. Verse 24, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. What's he saying? Crucifixion is what? Ultimately, what does crucifixion do? Kills people. And they that are Christ have crucified. What, he, what he's saying is, you are to die to that old sinful nature. To the old way of doing things. To the old way of thinking. To the old attitudes and actions. To the old affections and lusts. Verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now listen to me, folks. Sometimes we lack the power to be what God has purposed us to be, which is His image bearer. Amen? Because we choose to please the flesh, the sinful nature, rather than walking in the Spirit. And sometimes we're just like that old car sitting in the yard. We can clean up and look real good on the outside, but we're not fulfilling our purpose. Hey, we can clean up and come to church on Sunday, but are we fulfilling our purpose? We can make it look good. We can make it sound good. We can go through the motions. But are we fulfilling our purpose? The only way we can fulfill our purpose, which is to spread God's image across this world, is first of all being made alive to the Spirit. Not just the flesh, not just the physical body, not just the, the, the soul which we relate to psychologically, but listen, we must be made alive to the Spirit which we, wherewith we have fellowship and communion with God. We're made alive to Him. And once that is true, then we've got to reckon ourselves dead to that old fleshly nature so that we might please Him. If you got it, say, I got it. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. The Spirit is a necessity if we're going to fulfill our purpose. You know, eating, it's a necessity. Now, I know some of you think it's pleasure. I do too most of the time. Very rarely do I eat to stay alive. I just eat because I'm hungry and I like to eat. 
But if I don't eat, I won't stay alive. It's necessity. If my purpose is to live, I gotta eat. If my purpose is to live, I gotta drink. It's, it's, it's a necessity. I've gotta take the air in and let her out. I gotta keep breathing if I wanna live. It's a necessity. Well, guess what? If my purpose, if my purpose is to bear God's image across this earth, to walk in love and joy and peace and goodness and faithfulness and temperance and meekness, those fruits of the Spirit, if that's my purpose, then folks, listen, I must live after the Spirit. Are you getting me? Everybody stand together this morning. So there's two questions I want you to think about this time of invitation. First of all, have you been made alive to the Spirit? Have you been born again into God's family and baptized into His body? That happens when you trust in Jesus. Amen. That happens when you place your faith in Him, when you're saved by grace through faith. If you've not yet trusted in Christ as your personal Savior, if there's any question in your mind whether that's taken place, let's get that taken care of today. Let's get that nailed down today. That today is the day that I trusted fully in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin. That's the first step. Now, as a child of God, let me ask you, are you dying to the flesh daily so that you might live in the Spirit? Are you saying no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit? Are you walking in the Spirit like Paul commanded us to do? I hope so. If not, if not, today is the day that we can and should all say, God, not your will, but my will. I don't want to do what pleases the flesh. I want to do what pleases you. God, help me to be what you want me to be. I relinquish my will to your will. God, have your way. Have your will in my life. I surrender all of it fully to you. What you want me to do, I'm going to do. Where you tell me to go, I'm going to go. Lord, if you'll do it, if you'll lead, I'll follow. We all must do that if we're truly going to fulfill our purpose.